Thanks for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging and uplifting. Connect with us on Facebook. We want to hear your story. Has anyone here ever been disappointed by someone? Anyone here ever had someone that you trusted treat you ugly? Has anyone here ever been in a position where you gave your heart and soul, poured into someone, really gave it your all, but you got really a half-hearted response back from that individual? Has anyone ever in this place been betrayed to the point that you were really shocked, set back, had your emotions just twisted, turned? Anyone here ever been forsaken by a loved one? They left you? I sit in counseling sessions with young married couples a lot of times. And <clears throat> when we're doing the premarital counseling, I, if, if I came in with a list of weaknesses in each other's mate, they would make a hundred excuses and defend them in a hundred ways. 30 days after they're married, <laughs> usually it's around a six-month stretch, We'll be sitting in my office, and they can tell me everything that would have been on that list. Because relationships can be messy. There's no short of the Bible. Now, the Bible stands. But short of the Bible, there's no marriage handbook. And the problem with most of us is we enter in without the biblical principles plugged in. And so we take two fractured people and try to pull them together to make one whole marriage. We don't come into the relationship whole within ourselves because we've never searched our own heart, don't even know who we are. Don't know what it is that we're really bringing to the table. All we see is from behind our eyes, and we think we got it all going on. The other people can see the weaknesses in you, but oftentimes we don't want anyone to know there's a weakness in us. And that's what happens is two people come together, and there's weaknesses. And sometimes instead of fighting for the person in our life, we choose to fight with the person in our life. Some of you are thinking, oh, no, oh, no, this is going to be marriage counseling 101. <laughs> I'm not going to go to marriage counseling, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to have you turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And I want you to put your finger. We're just going to lift one verse, but I promise it's not out of context. 
Paul is teaching us how to be renewed in the spirit. He's teaching us how to not allow corruptness to come out of us, not to, not to act worldly once we've come into Christ, to get a new spirit in our mind, to get an attitude adjustment in the presence of God. And he kind of, right in the middle of that, uh, he's talking in verse 29 about corrupt communication proceeding out of our mouth and, and how we should conduct ourselves. And, and in verse 31, he talks about bitterness. And in verse 32, he talks about being kind towards one another, tenderhearted and forgiving as God would do for us. But right in the center of that is verse 30. And it says this in the King James, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Mm. I want to talk about something today, and it's no surprise to me how the Holy Spirit moved in today because he knows what I'm going to talk to you about. And we've had such a strong presence in this room today. And how many know when you stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit like that, that overwhelming, enveloping feeling of tenderness and mercy, and goodness, and kindness, and love overtakes you. Lean in just a little bit this morning, because this is going to be intimate. It's not going to take very long, but I think it's one of the most important messages I could ever stand behind this pulpit and preach. God, in his unfathomable goodness, glory, and mercy sought me out in my life when I wasn't worthy, loved me through all of my mess to convince me to come to him so that he could, how do I want to say this, overhaul my life and fix all the areas that I have messed up to repair all the places that I and others have broken in me, to help me to get a handle on how to live not self-willed but Christ-willed, to live in the will of the Father which is better than my will because my will is all about me. And when all I do is think about me, I get myself in a lot of trouble. But when I let God help me do the thinking for my life, suddenly I get more good accomplished than mess-ups if I allow him to lead me, guide me, direct me. You all know my story. I met the Lord as a nine-year-old boy. 
had a miraculous salvation experience in my own home, in my own bedroom, on my old, own old cold linoleum floor, and my old spring bed. That room, just like today, filled up with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there God saw a nine-year-old boy and said, Come. Come here. Come to me. And I'll give you something to live for. Many of us come into this life, we don't know why we're here. We don't know what we're here for, and we're trying to figure out life. And the Father who put us here with a plan and a purpose wants us to know what that is. But because in the Garden of Eden we handed away all of our rights and all of our dominion and all of our purpose, we're born with this insatiable desire to try to figure out life. I've stood at times and listened to people in different stages of life and different walks of life and listened to them and how they found what they felt was their purpose. I've heard some found it in a Garth Brooks song. And I kind of tongue-in-cheek went, well, okay. And I've heard some say they found it in the latest business venture. And some have found it in Habitat for Humanity and Feeding the Homeless. And those are all great things, and some of those are biblically instructed. But if just feeding the poor is your sole focus, I'm here to introduce to you, you're missing out. Because God's design isn't just for me to aimlessly wander around trying to get a good feeling out of the things that I do. But God's design for my life is to live my life to the fullest. To be so filled with his presence. So moved by his, his overwhelming relationship that everything I do and everyone I come in contact with and every person I meet, when I meet them, it's not just a happenstance, but it's an opportunity for something miraculous to happen. Amen. I know this seems a little mysterious. But we're going to take a look at the word. God loves you so much that he invested in you by taking us out of the, how do I say this? Taking us out of the position of the first man, Adam, who subjugated us to the law of sin and death. Christ has freed us from the curse of that law and set us on a path of kingdom living, righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as we read in verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed. You are sealed unto the day of redemption. God's down payment on your life when you come to him is that he substituted the selfishness of your life with the selflessness of the Holy Spirit deposited in you. I don't understand how God does this, but somewhere in my human spirit dwells the Holy Spirit now. I was born without that relationship, but when I said yes to Jesus, on that day as, at a, as a nine-year-old boy, he sealed me that day. That moment I was sealed until the day of my redemption. That day of redemption means when all things are over, at the end of this age or at the end of this life, I've been sealed while I'm walking in the here and now because God is with me. Wow. And because he's with me, he's become the most intimate relationship in my life. I love this lady sitting on the front row. She's the romantic love of my life. And I promised God I would forsake all other women, so when I walk by other women, I do this because I only want eyes for her, and she'd kill me. <laughs> and we've had some intimate times where we connected heart to heart, soul to soul. We've, we've celebrated many of life's achievements and spiritual achievements together. We've wept at each other's brokenness and each other's pain. We finish each other's sentences because we know each other intimately. She, she oftentimes will tell me she knows what I'm thinking. Gentlemen, are there, is there any men in here you, you, know, you know what your wife's going to think before she thinks it? Would you raise your hand? Ah, oh, you two need to write a book. Because there's no other man in the planet that knows what a woman's thinking. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Just chill. I'm messing with you. <laughs> I want to I share something with you today. As much as I love my wife, I would take a bullet for her. She used to tell me that when we were dating. I'd take a bullet for you, and I thought, man, you're crazy. <laughs> Come on. I did. And I don't know why she ever said that, but she was always telling me, I'll take a bullet for you. I'll take a bullet for you. I don't remember. Yeah, she, she's changed her mind since then. 
<laughs> but I, I honestly, I would, I would fight to the death for her. But she's not my most important relationship as much as I love her. Verse 30, there's a phrase, and grieve not. Now, understand the context. The context is, now that you're a Christian, you must change the protocol of your life and change the protocol of how you think. It means, it doesn't mean that you have to know every jot and tittle of the word. What it means is that we start adjusting our attitude to be as Christ-like as we can. And in doing so, he gives us a list of not giving place to the devil anymore. You'll find that in verse 27. Don't give place. Never. Now, we're talking about Christians. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about those of us who are born again. It says never give place to the devil. So how do we give place to the devil? By, it doesn't mean that we have to go out and become Satan worshipers to give place to the devil. What he's saying is, is don't give in to the lies of the enemy. You've been delivered from all of the rudiments of the first man, Adam, so that you can walk and talk and act like the second man, Adam, which is Christ Jesus. Is this, is this okay? And so what he's getting at here is that don't do things that unregenerated people do. Don't do sinful acts that the world does because when you do, it grieves the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to the church of Jesus Christ today. Listen to me. This phrase, grieve not, grieve not. The word grieve there is the word lupete. I'm not exactly sure I've got all the phonetics right, but I believe that's how it's pronounced. Lupete. The root of that word lupete is the word lupe. And lupe means pain or grief that can only be experienced by two people who are deeply in love. The word lupete, when you add the other portion of the word, means the pain, the shock, the devastation, the hurt, the woundedness, and grief that accompanies unfaithfulness. You see, the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit is precious and not to be taken lightly. Every one of us in revival, we love the power of God. We love to see people stand numb. We love to see people become overwhelmed in the presence. We, we love the feeling that we feel of the Holy Spirit. 
But my desire and what I believe is our win in the revival that's to come, yes, we're going to have healings, and we're going to have mighty revival, and we're going to have people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we're going to have people that stand numb, and we're going to have days when the entire congregation just falls to the floor on their face crying out unto God. We're going to have times when our children's church is overrun and overwhelmed by the power of God. We're going to have a situation that when people leave church and go to the restaurant, people in the tables around them them won't be able to eat because the power of God is emanating out of their life. But the win for Passion Church isn't the outward manifestation of the fact that we have the inward knowledge of who God is. But the win is to teach others how precious this gift is really is. Proper relationship with the Holy Spirit will revolutionize our life. And oftentimes, I honestly believe that we put more emphasis on what happens at the altar than what happens at home. And what happens at the altar is wonderful and powerful and exciting. But it is also fleeting if we don't take the necessary steps to grow and to become more and more and more like Christ. I can't help the feeling that is in the room, this intimate, this sitting on the edge of your seat. But I'm asking you, lean in because I'm about to share with you something. The relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit is precious and not to be taken lightly. Like a spouse in love, the Holy Spirit is deeply in love with you. The Holy Spirit hopes the best for you. How many of you ladies, when your husband goes out to make a living, you're hoping he has a good day, and you're hoping that his day is filled with goodness and joy, and that when he comes home, he's not grumpy and kicking the dog, grabbing the cat by the tail and giving him a spin as he throws him out the door, not grumbling at the children, but when he comes home, he comes home fulfilled and had a good day. The Holy Spirit is the same way about you. He wants every day of your life to be an overwhelming, winning day. Like a spouse, the Holy Spirit dreams of us. I know this sounds crazy. Men, shut your brain down because you, you won't get this anyway. Ladies... <laughs> Ladies, how many of you love the smell that lingers in the air of your husband's cologne? Yeah, put them up. It does something to you. It makes you long, dream of, want to be with. Men, we walk in, we don't. We don't even know you changed the candle. We pick our shirt up after the third angle. Does that smell okay to wear? 
truth. <laughs> but ladies, on the other hand, I've noticed that fragrances, there's entire industries built on just fragrances. And you never see men in the store unless they're drug in there by their wife. I finally convinced her once to buy a candle that's called Grandpa's Chair. I was tired of them sissy smells. And we got it home, and it smelled so good in the can. It had a faint smell of the old time when I was a kid. Men would smoke pipes, and it kind of had that faint smell of a pipe and a leather chair. It was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> then we lit it, and it smelled like an old grandpa said, pull my finger, and I won't go any further than that. That's, let's get that out of the air. Sorry, I messed everything up. But like a spouse in love, the Holy Spirit dreams of us and, and cherishes, cherishes, I'll get it out, the one he loves. I think in Christianity, we talk about Jesus loving us first, but I really think we've concentrated our whole thought patterns on the fact of us trying to love Jesus enough. And for a moment, I want to reverse that trend just for a moment and let you understand just how important you are. That God, who has to run the universe, and all of heaven and all of earth, has broken it down so intimately to live in your heart and to long after you all day, every day of your life. In fact, he fell in love with you the moment you were born and has pursued you all of this time. Even when you weren't saying yes to him, he was saying yes to you. Mm. The Holy Spirit longs for you, thinks about you, desires to be close to you, and wants to reveal himself to you. There's nothing more intimate than to finally get so comfortable with someone that you can even say the vulnerable things about your life to them. When you can share the most cherished secret and know that in confidence it will be held and that the other person, whether that thing is good or bad, won't judge you in any way, but love you. The Holy Spirit is leaning in at every moment of the day, longing for you, desiring to be with you. And all he wants is for you to love him in return. Mm -hmm. But when we act like the world, talk like the world, behave like the world, we shock, hurt, and grieve him. When we drag the most significant love of our life into intentional sin, in essence, we have committed spiritual 
adultery on God, the Holy Spirit. That's tough, I know. The one who wooed you, pursued you, convicted you of sin so you would come to Jesus, then indwelt you and sanctified you and empowered you and faithfully remains beside you to be your helpmeet. Did you hear that? What do we call our spouse, gentlemen? Help meet. The paraclete, the one called alongside. Where was woman taken from? Side. The Holy Spirit was called to walk alongside. In some third world countries, women are second class citizens and made to walk behind their husbands. But that is not the intention of God. God's intention is that we walk side by side through life. But what you don't see in this picture up here, I'm going to give you just a mental picture, is who's on my other side. The Holy Spirit. Now, you want a complete marriage? Holy Spirit. As intimate as this relationship is, as much as we can joke and laugh and do crazy things and, and do things that other people wouldn't even understand, we can look at each other and laugh over things. Other people be like, that's goofy. But to us, it makes it's, it's hilarious because it was something we experienced together. It's no different with the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder the church has started filling in the void with worldly activities because they don't understand the relationship that they have said yes to. Many of us in the natural long for a mate and desire a mate, and Paul said it's very right that we do so, and if we, if we feel we need a mate, then pursue a mate. Some people can live their life singular with only one relationship, and that's the relationship of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said that's the greatest of all. What I want you to understand today is just like a spouse would feel that's been cheated on. The Holy Spirit feels the same sense of shock if we dishonor his presence in our lives. One scholar translated Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and the 30th verse this way. Stop deeply wounding and causing such extreme emotional pain to the Spirit of God by whom you have been sealed until the day of your redemption. <laughs> Stop deeply wounding and causing such extreme extreme emotional pain to the Spirit of God. 
I look back across the scope of my life, and I was born again at the age of nine. But in my teenage years, I began to stray, and I began to play, and I began to act worldly, and I began to do things contrary. All the while, in that situation, there was a God consciousness in me that kept telling me, you know this isn't right. You know this isn't right. You know this isn't right. And I thank God that he never leaves and he never forsakes. And the Holy Spirit, I took him and I drug him into all kinds of things that he should have never been drugged into. Forced him to follow me into sinful activities and reproachable things. All in the guise of having fun. And when I came back to myself at the age of 16, I said, a Christian can't act this way. Can't act like this. At the age of 16, I turned and began to pursue my God. By the age of 17, the Lord was using this absolute blank slate in ministry. And I look over the course of our lives, and when I look at how we often conduct ourselves, and I'm going to preach to me for the next few moments, I'll leave you out. But when my television gets too important, when my video games get too important, when my old junky hot rods get too important, when my life gets too busy, when my business is too overwhelming, when I don't have time for relationships, when I don't have time for the word, when I don't have time for intimacy and prayer, I'm cheating. I'm committing adultery on the one who deserves my utmost attention. The one who knows me even more intimately than my wife could ever know me. What relationship would you have with your spouse, those of you who are married? If you're not married, you just stay with me, all right? What relationship would you have with your spouse if, gentlemen, you came home and never talked to your wife? If you never sat down and said, honey, how's your day? If you never asked, how'd that make you feel? If, if when they reached for you in love, you just turned and walked away, how would they feel? How long would that relationship go on? How long would it last? Yet I'm here to announce to you some good news is that the Holy Spirit does not believe in divorce. 
He will not quit and he will not give up on you. He'll stay intimately pursuing you, wooing you, longing for you, smelling your fragrance, desiring you, hungering for you because he wants you to have the fullness of God in this relationship. So we must begin to reciprocate back to the Holy Spirit that love. We give a lot of attention to God the Father and Jesus the Son, and that's how the Holy Spirit likes it. He came to testify of Jesus, not of himself. He would never say these words. That's why the writer had to write them. But the Holy Spirit wants you deeply, intimately involved with him. It's not a one-sided relationship. And the sooner we discover that, the sooner our life will be fulfilled in our Christian walk. When I wake up in the morning, instead of getting up and doing all the other things that get in the way, I should first say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, love of my life. Good morning. Is there anything I can do pleasing to you today? Is there something I can do? Go with me today. Walk beside me. Whisper in my ear the encouragement that the Father wants me to know. Say to me what it is my heart needs to hear. And I will spend time on my knees communicating to you what I feel, what I think, what I'm struggling with, what I need, what I thirst for, what I hunger for. And I know, I know, I know that you will answer all that I need. Father, I thank you. We hope that this week's message encouraged you. Go out and release hope to your world and watch as lives are changed. If you've enjoyed this message and want to learn more about Passion Church, then visit our website at passionchurchmo.com. We hope to connect with you. God bless.